You're listening to the Black Box Music Podcast with Brian and Nick, where we're talking to artists about what it's like to get your music heard in the ever-changing music industry, uh, how it is to use tools like social media and other platforms as an independent artist in a changing music business. Today we're sitting down with musician, musical director, Ray Swen. Ray joins us from his studio in Los Angeles and talks to us about his early beginnings as a local musician in San Diego doing what he loves, to becoming a touring member for such acts as The Killers, The Flaming Lips, Childish Gambino, Lord, just to name a few. Here's more from one of my favorite people in the world, Ray Sweat. going you're listening to the black box music podcast we're sitting down today with multi-instrumentalist music director writer and producer ray swen he's joining us from los angeles california today ray here's a couple of things we learned about you before we sat you down you started playing violin at the age of three and while you served as the principal violinist at the la jolla symphony orchestra you studied jazz and earned a degree in psychology from the university of san diego He became a staple in the San Diego music scene, recording and performing with acts such as Jason Mraz, Joni Mendenhall, Gregory Page, and you even were moonlighting in Los Angeles occasionally with the Joe Firstman house band of Last Call with Carson Daly. In 2007, you did your first national tour with Louis XIV, opening for The Killers, which led you to your first massive gig playing guitars, violin, and keys for The Killers. After years of touring with them, you went on to become a touring member for acts such as The Flaming Lips, Mariachi El Bronx, Passion Pit, and Childish Gambino. You most recently have been the musical director for Lord during her melodrama tour, playing guitar, keys, but also arranging strings. You've recorded and released two solo EPs under the name Savio Savio, and you recently did some of the most memorable music moments in the new Bill and Ted's Face the Music movie. <laughs> One of my great friends and the most talented musician I know Welcome to the show, Ray Swen. I feel like I got to like read my Wikipedia page. Is that what it really says? <laughs> There's a lot of that. I took, pulled a lot of it from Wikipedia, but also some George Varga stuff in there. Golly, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Good a you are researching. that I'll read back to you. Yeah, that's mm. so strange. But that yeah. should be um, your... Uh, if you want, I can cut that, and that can be the audio intro to race. Oh no, 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 you do, you do what, you, whatever you guys do. I'm just saying, for me, hearing that back is like, whoa, that is weird. Hearing that, <laughs> and then also it makes me think about, you know, that line about the San Diego scene back then. I mean, like thinking back to that time, you know, during the this whole quarantine thing, like it's been easy to fall down in nostalgia hole. Mm-hmm. And, but I have to say, like, it, it, it's been long enough for me now that like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I mean, I haven't seen Gregory or heard from Gregory in a long time. I haven't heard from, yeah, all kinds of people in a long time. I mean, this is the first mm-hmm. time I'm talking to you in a couple of months. This is the first I time know. Nick in years and years and years. So anyway, that's that was just a, that was a weird pandemic COVID memory moment for me. Yes. Welcome into the haze. A moment <laughs> yeah. in the haze. Yeah. It's trippy because even like February that was kind of the last time like we were just talking i would go back and forth to la to do some music it doesn't seem like that was almost a year ago sure it seems like it was months ago it just flew by huh it's crazy i mean yeah i'm glad to hear other people say that because i mean i i thought for a second there that maybe i was the one who was messed up where it was like this the time is just going so fast i can't it's like a moment out of that adam sandler movie where his life is run by the remote control Sure. And he hits fast forward and the next thing you know, he's like a year ahead. <laughs> kind of felt like that. But what anything that, happened, is that? It's, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Hey, Ray. So what, what's the biggest change? I mean, what's the biggest change for you since things? Well, oddly down? enough, oddly enough, I mean, I told myself that this year was going to be a year that I started getting off the road and started trying to figure out other ways to to do what I do, but not have to travel to do it. Even though I still, I mean, especially now, I, I, I say to myself at least once a week, like if I get a chance to go on another tour, I'm gonna do the shit out of it. I'm gonna mm-hmm. fuck death. But yeah, this year was supposed to be about me getting off the road and trying to do other stuff, trying to work on different kinds of things. And so it was kind of part of the plan, but the thing is 
once the backup plan got taken away from me, it got a little, yeah, it just, it got scary, you know? And also, you know, I was supposed to work on some, I was supposed to work on my first film score this year, but obviously they, they were supposed to start shooting in Spain the week that everything shut down. And so wow. that was way. And, you know, the thing that I was like gearing myself up to, to, to get ready for is just like, okay, well, I'm not doing that. And we're definitely not going, none of the acts that I work with are going on tour anytime soon. It, yeah, is weird. But I think the best part about it is my relationship to music has kind of been clarified. Like, I, you know, kind of in line with what I was saying about if I get a chance to go on tour again, I'm going to, I'm going to just throttle the opportunity. Like, I like playing and I miss playing. And um, I, to get through the first couple of weeks when this all started, I, I found myself practicing violin again, like I haven't since I was in high school. That's my first instrument. So like playing stuff that I never got a chance to play when I was a kid and mm. that would get me through the day. And then the other thing that happened to me was uh, I, bought a, I bought a pedal steel for myself last year, kind of after I was, in, I was in Nashville for Bonnaroo. I was playing with Childish Gambino, I think. It was either last year or two years ago. I have no, I, no concept of time. <laughs> but I remember taking my friends in the band to go like guitar shopping. We went to Carter, we went to Groon, we went to all these, you know, these great old guitar shops in, mm. in Nashville. And I just kept looking at these beautiful instruments, thinking to myself like, I don't need another one of these. I got, I think I got enough of these guitars. And so when I got home, I was like, fuck it. I've always wanted to play pedal steel. Hell I, yeah. Then like the, the quarantine provided an opportunity to be like, well, what else are you doing? Learn new and mm -hmm. do it. Like, other people are, you know, learning how to make sourdough or whatever it is. It's just like, it's time for me to sit down and learn this instrument. And like, I had all the time in the world for it to click finally, because initially it was like, how am I supposed to fly the spaceship? It's like the most difficult instrument on the planet. Well, you who plays numerous instruments, where would you rank the pedal steel? It's the most gorgeous instrument to hear. It's funny. But you it's got so much going on, feet, legs, knees, hands, and a fucked up tuning. Yeah, I think at the beginning, it seemed pretty impenetrable. It seemed like I'm never going to figure this out. Like the other part of it is like for if you're learning how to play guitar or you're learning how to play keys or you're learning how to play anything like there's a whole world of YouTube information out there and on like there's tabs and there's all, you know, these tutorial videos and all this stuff. The pedal steel community, not so plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> and you know and, and so there's something there's really opportunity right there well there's something really re kind of charming about it where it's like i i got in touch with the two guys that i've heard of who play in town and right before the pandemic started i remember just being like hey can i buy you lunch and you just tell me what i'm supposed to do and what i'm supposed to not do and i'll figure it out and that was the only way i got my information was like literally talking to other human beings which is a you know it made it that much more personal. And then the, the quarantine hit and was like, well, I hope I've learned enough from those two conversations that I can figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, that's great. And once you do get the instrument down and I've seen you play now in your videos, you've got it down. I would imagine it's probably a pretty easy thing to get a pedal steel gig because there's like five <laughs> five people that play it now. I have to say the one gig that I actually have gotten or one of the one of the few gigs that I've gotten during the quarantine. Once things opened back up and people, you know, people were employing COVID protocols for you know live streams and tapings and stuff like that, has been a pedal steel gig actually. And um, yeah, I, I I don't know how anybody got my number. And you know, we've had me and Brian, we've we've definitely had this conversation about like the utility of Instagram. And it's like, well, yeah, how are people going to know unless you let them know? Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, we'll see yeah. when, when everything, if and when everything goes back to normal, we'll see if it's easy to get a gig because I feel like the, it doesn't, most gigs don't call for this instrument. And if it does, you call the guys who know what they're doing. And mm -hmm. I, I, can, I, I can name the three guys in town that I would call. It wouldn't be me. Like I would call, <laughs> I'd call a, the other guys, but yeah. There's a good segue there though, where, you know, if you mentioned Instagram, so I think the reality is, you know, it's clear that all musicians have to go on and show what they do, build personality, 
like document their lives, do stuff that people will consume and, and gets them into what they do. So um, how, how have you done with that? Have you always done it? Is it new for I've you? I've always resented it. Um, I remember, because it was probably right around the time that right after I met Brian was like the first time Twitter was a thing in 2007 and 2008. Yeah. And back then I was the most basic of, like, I'm really just thinking about it. Like, I'm just going to share with people what I find interesting. And most of the time it's food. Um, but <laughs> as it's become more of like a real avenue for commerce, essentially, like I kind of treat, <laughs> whatever, I don't think this is out of line to say, I kind of treat, you know, my Instagram audience as it were, like, listen, I'm, I'm going to stay true to, to that. It's, this isn't about, how do I want to say this? Maybe I'm a romantic where it's like, listen, if you've seen me play, that's what I do. And that's actually what I want to hold. I, I want to keep precious actually. The, yeah. This particular time is creeping me out a lot with, and I get it. I know that everyone has to do a live stream just to like, this is the only way we're going to be able to see people play. And I get it. But this, the, the fear for me is that it's going to replace the thing that I love to do, which is be in a room with other people and playing at them and seeing them receive uh -huh. it and all of us having this thing together. Um, so yeah, Instagram to me <laughs> um, kind of gets in the way of that. And it isn't, it just isn't real. I, the conversations I've had with Brian about it are about like, well, maybe I'm the one with the problem and I need to get over myself about it. it the quarantine made it easier for me to get over myself because there was nowhere else to play. So um, I feel like I'm I'm getting I'm wrapping my head around it, but I'm also not putting too much pressure on myself to be like this is the only way you can make a living. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. No, it's I think that you're not the only one for for one. Like almost everybody we talk to resents the fact that they have to do it yeah. because they came from a world where we started live and then this was the extra whereas like there's going to be a whole group of young people who are coming out of covid and coming out of just literally they can't go out of their house because they were 14 and the only thing that they could do to reach out to the world was instagram right because mm -hmm. their parents wouldn't let them leave the house and they're going to grow up in a world where that's where they started and everything else is just completely flipped, you know? And I wonder, you know, what you guys think about if there will ever come a time and cause I think it's coming, but I want to know what you guys think about whether or not the virtual experience is ever actually going to be better than the live experience. Because for example, I don't ever want to go to a football game. I have problems with football as it is, but way rather watch it on TV then mm -hmm. actually yeah goes. oh yeah i wonder if that ever is going to happen to live music i absolutely <laughs> i think that i think that yeah you're probably here's my thoughts i'll let brian brian have his own but <clears throat> it, there's a couple things about live shows that are going to be hard to to replace until the the technology at home matches the experience live right so when you're in the casbah you're feeling the subwoofers and very loud instruments. You know, sometimes it's too loud, right? So you go out to the smoking patio. Chill to be to be able to go to the Casbah. Right? <laughs> and I think the Casbah would kill to let people in there too. Sure. The thing is, is it like that feeling of like it in your guts? You know, it's hard the to smell, replicate that. The heat, yeah, it's hard to replicate that feeling that you get from a live show with a VR headset, unless you could replicate that like thing. Like, I just think that the hardware has not even caught up close to like where we're at. Football is cool. I can watch it on a television show. I mean, a, a, a 2D screen, I can, I can get into that. I'm all right. Sure. But I mean, I wonder just because like, if you like the 14 year old that you're talking about, the hypothetical 14 year old, like, if they didn't, if they never knew that they could feel what it feels like to have the subwoofers on you and like having like that's what worries me. I'm not, and like you know mm -hmm. all that stuff. It's gonna. If, well, I mean, my nieces are you know 11 and 14, and it's like they're they're YouTube they addicts. 
Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> They're YouTube addicts. I even remember one of my nieces going, you used to hang pictures of bands in your room. I'm like, they do. Well, yeah, because it used to be hard to find pictures of like my favorite rock stars. There was a there was a mystery about it. And yeah, I'd hang it on the wall because we didn't have. I'm really happy to still see Velvet Elvis like right over your shoulder. Like Yeah, Velvis. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but I do think the virtual experience is getting better. Nick and I actually talk to people in that business a lot. Sure. And um, Kirk's mentioned some things, but I've read some stuff like as far as like the NFL, which has more money than the music industry right now. They're talking about things like buy a virtual ticket to the Tom Brady game and be on the sideline with the coaches or for a premium price, be in Tom Brady's helmet. Be prepared to watch the pass be thrown from the perspective. So you can't see, get in the front row, tug on Bono's pant leg. Hold on a second. I want to see the other version where it's like, no, be, be Bry on stage. The cool thing about where, where that goes and I, and don't get me wrong. I think the virtual experience is going to be what it'll be is different. It yeah. won't be a replication. It's like, it's like beyond burger or, or like fake meat. It's not meat. It's just something else. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, the virtual experience this like hey yeah i would i'm i'm down to stand next to whoever i love on this virtual like um wembley stadium like concert that they're kind of maybe not even doing or doing or and i and instead i because i'm in san diego and wembley stadium's not close to us so i bought in to on stage with whoever you know and I think the, the commercial aspects of it, we talked to another band and we were talking about the same thing, which is like the Casbah, 150 person cap venue, right? But now they can, they could book artists above their weight class kind of, yeah. and then sell 150 more tickets to the virtual version of that same show that's going on live, you know? Mm -hmm. So you can, there's just going to be all those kinds of things happening. Yeah, it's, I, I think it, it it won't replace, but it is going to open another door and another. I don't think it's going anywhere. If if everything were to go back to normal tomorrow, I don't think the live streaming game is going to go away. And I'll tell you why why I don't want it to go away. Have you ever gone to the Coors Amphitheater to watch a show? <laughs> it takes an hour and a half to get in there through the traffic. Then like you got to park a half mile away walk all the way there, wait in line to get a $30 beer, get to your, it's, and then getting out is even more of a freaking nightmare. I mean, we've been lucky enough to play those shows and get kind of the easy in, easy out, but as a consumer and going as a fan, fuck dude, that sucks. I do wonder if people do, if people really feel that way or if, you know, the whole idea is that the high of the show that you just saw wipes all that away. It mm -hmm. becomes like a secondary True. As a like, because I was God, I was about to say Qualcomm. I was about to say Jack Murphy Stadium. Jack Murphy. The one football game I've ever been to was at Qualcomm. It was that year that the Chargers got knocked out by the fucking Jets at the last second in overtime. Ugh, the Jets. I'll tell you that that was part of my memory is walking away from the stadium with uh -huh. all these other bummed out people. But at the same time, it's an important memory to know that I was at least with my people. We were yeah. all together. Yeah. Or Jeff, yeah. who were making That's all the noise. Fuck those people. And yeah. they, 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 they're, getting, they're getting what they've got. The, well, you know, there's a tribal aspect to it, right? And so the thing is, is there's the X factor with all those live experiences and real human ex and interaction is that there's something else be, that you feel when you're around people that like kind of fills this need in our human like DNA, like mm -hmm. there's all you, the only the people that you hear about throughout time are like the hermits that will go out into the into the desert and like figure shit out. But they're always seem like they're always the weird ones. They'll go be a hermit. There's a word for it, hermit. You know, mm -hmm. and like, but like most human beings need to be around other people. I'm not sure if the 
if if the like those experiences will ever solve that other issue like the what's the repercussion of it mentally and in ready player one we've seen it <laughs> well here's hoping here's hoping you're right I, i'm glad to be able to talk to people when and generally speaking they are more optimistic than i am about the way things are going to be when they do come back eventually mm-hmm. but yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, I'm optimistic. I think it'll come back one day. It'll just, I think, you know, for musicians in general, you got to figure out a way to like, you know, kind of stay engaged or at least relevant to your fans, you know? And in that regard, I don't hate social media that way, I guess, you know? Um, I don't know. I think, Yeah. yeah, I think assuming things go back to normal, I think in this time there's going to be innovation with live streaming and things like that. But I think, dude, when they open the freaking floodgates and say, it is cool, big show, I think people are gonna, you know, revel in joy. Yeah, and I don't wanna, and I don't wanna talk down like what people must be getting out of these virtual performances right now. I mean, I just finished one with, uh, with my old guys from, from the Bronx and I didn't, you know, just because I'm not that engaged, I don't go looking at comments and stuff. But from talking to the guys, the response to the live stream was such, you know, it's it's a lot of gratitude. It's a lot of positivity. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of like, thank you for putting this out. Oh my God, I never thought I'd get to, you know, see something like that. You know, that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, well, as long as that's still the response, it's it's you and me and you who have to adapt. It's not like everyone else is just going to find a way to enjoy it. And that's yeah. That's We're pretty funny. adaptive, pretty adaptive human beings. Hey, Ray, so you, you play with a lot of people and you've had you know, a great opportunity to do that. What was, what, what was the, how did that come about in your life? Like what was the first big kind of break that you got and how did those things happen? Uh, you guys had O on your podcast yet? Not yet, no. no. Yeah. It actually would be an interesting podcast. I mean, you he likes know, to talk. he likes to talk. But yeah, it was because O likes to talk. I think that that I got my first break because O was the one who mentioned that Louis the Fourteenth was looking for a cellist, preferably female, from what I remember. But it was like, mm-hmm. I'll throw your hat in there. Though. I mean, I'll throw you. Th- you know, I'll throw your name in the ring if you, you know, if you want to give it a shot. And you know, they gave me a shot. Brian gave me a shot. Jason gave me a shot. Those guys gave me a shot. And I happened to be in a place where I didn't want to go, but I just graduated from UCSD and I was teaching violin a little bit and just trying to be like, am I going to grad school? What am I doing? And this opportunity came to go on tour. I don't think I even knew what that meant. Um, they said there'd be a bus to get from place to place. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, and yeah, I do remember the- though, just to interject on that, going in the parking lot with you, and I remember convincing you that we had a van, and I go, but there's gonna be a trailer that it pulls, so all the gear goes in there, so we'll each have like a bench, and you were all, oh okay, okay, that's cool, and then the, bu- <laughs> the bus came in. It just happened to be the one where we got like a bus with condo bunks. It was like the most first class bus because there was an error, so we got an upgrade. So your first tour was a great experience. It was a great experience, but like, you know, the reason I must, I I kind of vaguely remember that you fucking with me and like being like, I didn't even realize you were fucking with me because the thing is, no, I didn't care how to do it. Like I said, I'm glad that to know that I'm kind of in a lot of ways, the same person now that I was back then, which is like, I don't give a shit how we get there as long Mm -hmm. as we play, as long as I get to play then I'm fine. Let's just do that. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I suppose that would be the, 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 the first thing that, or if we were to go farther back, it's, I remember when I got to UCSD and I still was playing violin, like I was still, that was my whole thing is still being like entertaining notions of being a classical violinist and being a working classical violinist. But I was just getting my ass kicked in these competitions by kids who were like 11 and 12 and I was 17. I was like, maybe this isn't going to work out. Maybe I should study harder. Maybe I should study harder for my pre-med thing and let's do that. Um, but that knocked me down and made me realize that the way I was going to do music didn't have to be in that arena. It didn't have to be <laughs> mm-hmm. the classical arena. I 
I started listening to jazz then and I started realizing like, oh, I can do that. Like I can make shit up on the fly. Like I can, I can do this. That if I, if I hadn't had that realization, if I hadn't had that moment where I was getting my ass kicked by 11 and 12 year olds, I don't think I would have started opening myself up to different kinds of music and different ways I could express myself through music, which made it so that like when, O when I met, O and he told me about Louis the 14th, I was open to it. Cause I was like, yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Something I can do and sounds like something that'd be fun. So yeah. That's interesting too, because yeah, if you would have pinned yourself just into, I play classical violin and that arena is, yeah, it's dominated by younger, hungrier, gnarlier people. Well, how much, how much violin is there in rock and roll right now? And who needs it? <laughs> Let's go do it. You know, it's great. I mean, it was a weird thing. It's all I'd known for about 10 years or God, for about 15 years. I started playing when I was three. So it's all I knew at the time. So then how was the transition from, then you go play with the killers Mm -hmm. was the expectation now. And now you went from like, I mean, we played some good stages with you, but you played some fucking like arenas with the killers. Don't forget that, you know, after the first bus picked us up at the Denver airport, we went to fucking Morrison. We played at Red Rocks. Like the first stage I played on tour was with you opening for the killers at Red Rocks. So as far as I was concerned, that was the other thing. We started on condo bunks. We started on a bus. We started at Red Rocks or I started at Red Rocks. So I, I was spoiled from the very, very, very beginning. But then um, sorry, I've lost your question. I just like I saw a lot just touring with you guys. And I, I'm so appreciative too now, especially that I got to experience that as an opener and seeing how that's different than being the headliner where it's like, oh yeah, you know, this is all fun. But remember, you're on somebody else's turf right now. Remember, mm-hmm. like, this isn't your party. This is like, totally. respect what's happening here. There are a lot mm-hmm. of people working here who are trying to put on a show. And that was such a, I mean, those first couple of years between Louis Fourteenth and The Killers, I really do feel like, set me up in such a great way just as far as like an education mm-hmm, or yeah. how to behave and how to do it the right it's way it's so true it really comes into perspective of it's it's a traveling circus <laughs> you got this show going on you got this and the main event is the guy sticking his head in a tiger's mouth uh, <laughs> i really did i mean i think that's a really interesting thing how you put it as to like kind of like I mean, not know your place, for instance, but I knew like after doing a huge tour as an opening act for the killers, you know, you're, you, you got to realize you're the opening act, you That's, know, fuck yeah. this man, I'm going on 20 minutes late. And uh, no, you're not. Absolutely. You are so not. Being on the other side of it too, when you do encounter openers like that, it's hard not to think about like, well, man, you're really not doing yourself any favors right now because mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't end here. You see everybody again and people, you know, keep those, whether they do it consciously or unconsciously, I think everybody remembers that kind of stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I guess to, to answer your question, or no, I don't remember your question. <laughs> so we started out, you answered it, which is, how'd you get your start? But like, and then, you know, I think people out there, musicians that, um, that would love to do what you've done, like, how did you move from, the killers or you know you went from louis to the killers to the next act and then is that just by you just doing a good job and showing up and that gets around i'm sure you've heard this a lot too with all the people that you've spoken to but it's i have to i don't think it's overstating it to say at least half of it is luck being in the right place at the right time i mean even going back to how i met oh i was playing in a I was playing at like the Blarney Stone in Claremont Mesa with um, with uh, <laughs> Matt Gorney, Matt Gorney, and his cover band, and we were just dicking around. But I happened to have, you know, I was a guy playing violin in an Irish bar in a strip mall, and uh, like that's just luck that O happened to be the kind of person who puts people together. And I and I've seen that go forward. I mean. The, the person who put in my name to audition for The Killers was um, Dave Bidrich, who was out on tour with Louis XIV as our backline tech. And he was just like, yeah, I'll put, in, I'll put in a word for you. I'll get you in the door. 
And it's it's always been on and on like that. I mean, even the thing the I, I moved to LA after I finished touring with the Killers because I met the Bronx because they were opening for the Killers. And, you know, we got along and after I moved to LA, they were like, hey, you want to, you, you know, do you want to go on tour? I was like, yes, that's that's why I figured it's it was time to move to LA, even though every fiber of my being was like, fuck LA, man. That's now between the Dodgers and the Lakers and everything else. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, <laughs> um, but and it's it's just gone on and on like that. Maybe I I'd like to think that some of it has to do with yeah. I try to approach everything professionally. I try to know my shit. I try and you know get along with everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's just and it's yeah. It's just like I like the fact too. As I've gotten older, I realize more of it has to do with my own restlessness. I now that I have a I can say kind of that I can look back. I can look back a little bit and it's like, oh, I can keep looking back. I'm really, if I'm to pat myself on the back about anything, it's that I never, it's like Brian was saying, I never really put myself in a corner where I only do the one thing. Mm -hmm. And like, because I have that kind of mentality about like, I get bored and I want to do other stuff and I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. I think that made me receptive to playing with, different kinds of people and playing different kinds of music and playing different instruments and, do, and learning different things. I think that's actually, if 50% of it is luck, the other 50% of it is just being like, I want to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I will make myself available for when those opportunities come up. I mean, that gig I was saying that I did during the quarantine, the pedal steel gig, I, I think it's, it wouldn't have happened if I didn't just want to learn how to play pedal steel in the first place. It wasn't like the offer came in and was like, oh shit, I better learn how to play pedal steel. Although yeah. that did happen to me once where um, what I met. I, <laughs> so again, this is the whole like serendipity thing. Our last tour manager or my last tour manager when I was playing with Louis XIV was a, was a good friend of mine, Chris Chandler, who would mm-hmm. be um, front of house and tour managing the Flaming Lips for years and years and years. And he was like, hey, you know, come meet the guys or come hang out with the guys. That was my first roadie gig ever. But I remember Wayne saying to me that, uh, oh, we're going to do some like anniversary shows or of the Soft Bulletin where we played that whole record all the way through. Do you know how to play harp? And I thought he was joking. So I was just like, yeah, I, yeah, I play harp. That's fine. Yeah, easy. And then he called a couple months later and was like, so how, I mean, you want to do this? I mean, we need you to play hard. I was like, oh shit, you actually meant that. So then I had to go like rent a harp and teach myself how to play it and all that stuff. But either way, <laughs> wait, but you did it. You played harp on that tour. I, I, it wasn't a tour. It was a couple of shows. Like they, they would take that show around for a couple of different cities, but yeah, no, I learned how to do it. And I think that <laughs> that is the thing though, that that whole willingness to put yourself in a position where you can totally fail. Yeah. And yeah. Be- that's not the end of the world. I mean, I, I might fail, but I might, I, I will definitely learn something new if I do. But do you get nerves? Like, okay, your first killers get your first Louis the 14th gig at Red Rocks. Were you nervous or were you just like, I know what I'm doing. I've done it on the small stage. Let's now let's just do it. Like you don't, I, I would think going from freaking like, the Blarney stone to that. Yeah. Or Java Joe's the, the Blarney stone to, or Red Rocks, there would be, I'd freak out. I, I was nervous for years playing on those stages. Absolutely. I mean, uh, in the beginning, I was definitely, didn't matter if it was, uh, if it was, God, I never actually got to play Java Joe's. My version of that was Lestat's. Um, That's what I meant, Lestat's. No, I always kind of wanted to play a Java Joe's though, because, you know, Gregory and, and I would always, yeah, you know, talk about that place. But um, no, I was as nervous. I feel like, I was the same amount of nervous the first time I got to play at the Casbah as I was when we did Red Rocks. Obviously there were all those people, but I think, you know, I don't know if you remember, but because it was the first show of that tour of that run with the Killers, they ran long on their sound check. And so we were doing our sound check while they were letting in. The- I do remember that. I hated that. That, that kind of took me like, to, that took me out of my nerves. Cause it was like, well, there are already people here. Don't, be nervous. Mm-hmm. There are already people here. You can't freak out in front of these people. They're already here. <laughs> be okay to freak out in front of Bri, but like in front of all these people, don't do that. And, uh, but yeah, I feel like I was the same amount of nervous 
like the first time I played the Casbah as I was the first time I played with you guys at Red Rocks. And then like, but it is weird over the last couple of years, I've, I've said this a number of times now actually, and I'm starting to worry about myself and I wonder if it'll ever go away, but I feel like I don't get nervous anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's usually a sign I need to go do something else, like learn a new instrument and put myself in a position to fail. Because if, if I wonder, if you do get to that point where it's like, oh yeah, I'm dead inside. There's all these people and there's all this stuff it's going inside. on. And I'm kind mm-hmm. of just like, my heart rate is the same <laughs> as it was before I walked on stage. Maybe you need to go do something. I mean, maybe you've got to challenge yourself with something. Or else. you become an, somebody who does espionage because that might be a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, assassin. I do think of myself as an assassin sometimes. I mean, if I'm trying to, yeah, if I'm trying to glam up what what I do for a living, it's like you use words like assassin and you words like use words like hired gun and all these things where you're killing people. Yeah, that is so true. <laughs> yeah, because you kind of have to be a little bit um, cold blooded, I guess, to do that kind of work. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. you get so you're you're thrown into these different arenas. I just want to stay on this timeline for a second because I think sure, it's yeah. interesting. Is so you you went you played some flaming lip shows that led to then you moved to LA you met and started playing with the Bronx but then there's like childish I remember when you started playing with childish Gambino and I didn't I hadn't heard of him at that time but you were saying oh, the, the guy's great he's gonna be huge he's already pretty big because he's an actor and he was on the show but his music totally different and but like what how do you even get into that circle like was that an LA thing was that same thing of right place right time. It's absolutely right place, right time kind of stuff. I remember the first people I met when I got to Los Angeles, um, you know, they, they people would find out like, oh, you play violin? Here's my other violin friend. It's like, oh, cool, let's talk about violin for a while. <laughs> Bunch of dorks talking about violin at a bar. But um, like, yeah, I happened to have a friend um, that was playing with Childish at the time. And he um, is a Swedish national, was and is a Swedish national. But his visa situation maybe wasn't the most worked out completely. Like um, he wasn't sure that he could go, for example, to play a show in Canada and make it back into the United States after that. Mm. So he called me and was like, hey, can you fill in for me on this gig? Because I'm not sure I can get back from Canada. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and that led to, you know, getting to know those guys. And when- So when you went there, you know, you didn't know any of them? No, I mean, I, I, in fact, I met them after I got off the plane. I met them in Seattle because I like just shadowed them for a gig just to know what I needed to do and how the show went. And then we drove up to Vancouver and we left my Swedish friend behind in Seattle and we picked him up on the way back. But yeah, that was the, the first time I'd met a lot of those guys was walking onto the bus and, you know, shaking everybody's, shaking everybody's hand. So That's bizarre. Cool. <laughs> it, that was a weird one. And then, you know, as the band got bigger and they needed more musicians, like they're like, hey, that Ray guy was all right. And apparently he plays guitar too. So maybe you can do that. Um, and yeah. I just remember and, like even when on our buses, when we were first getting to know you, mm-hmm. one of my earliest memories of Ray was, okay, this kid comes on, he's like this virtuoso on violin, but we're all playing our guitars, all dirty rock on the bus. And all of a sudden Metallica came on and you grabbed the guitar and knew every freaking note and riff of like the gnarliest Metallica songs ever. And we were just like, who is this kid? And you're like, yeah, no, fade to black. Like note for note, no stumbling. I mean, that's the reason I got into like, cause you know, when I was a kid, I I knew that the violin wasn't the biggest or strongest or loudest instrument. So I was like, what can I do? How can I apply these skills and like, just play loud. I want to play loud. And well, when you're 14, Metallica is the loudest band that there is without I mean, looking too hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I learned all that shit because I, you know, I knew my fingers could move in the mm-hmm. way that they move. And so, yeah, I don't know. But it came, yeah, it, it came to serve me kind of well because like for better or for worse, you know, James Hetfield and Kirk Hammett taught me how to play guitar. It's, it's taken me another 15 years to unlearn all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I've run into other musicians. Like I remember running into the Bronx guys and your name came out. And then one of those guys said, have you ever seen him play Metallica? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I have. So it's kind of legend. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, the, the farther we get away from like 
you know, Metallica, especially in their heyday, I do wonder if like that kind of, it, cause it stands in such stark contrast to, for example, when I started working with, uh, with Ella, uh, with Lord, um, one of the things that I'd heard tell around like the camp was that she's not in the guitars. Don't, don't bring up guitars in front of Ella. But in the same really? way, she didn't want like cymbals with, with her drums and stuff. And I get it because it's just a different, she's, she's telling her story differently and with a, we, with a different palette and stuff. And so, yeah. I, but there was also, I think a certain amount of like, you know what, there is a strange kind of like, generally masculine and like aggressive energy to a guitar person on stage you know what i mean it's generally generally not we don't the first thing that especially guys our age i suppose think of is sweaty dudes on stage with long hair and guitars mm -hmm. as to, like we're not the first image for us isn't necessarily john baez and 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 joni mitchell for mm -hmm. example you know, Never I, is like, that an image of mine, yeah. It's more and more an image in my head these days because I've just been <laughs> learning all these different techniques and stuff. But um, like, yeah, I, I, well, I get it. But at the same, you know, so to, to be in that world after coming from a world where, you know, it's kind of like, I didn't get picked on for knowing how to play all those metallic songs. Yeah, right. <laughs> a little bit maybe, but like, at least not to my face. I don't know. But uh, like... Yeah, it's just it, we're it's it's changing all the time. It, it's an asset in some places, and it's like it's completely irrelevant in other places. <laughs> what do you think about the live show going forward? Because like you know, the the Lord show is definitely more. It's a lot more electronic, like sounds. Sure. Um, and you know, I, I guess it just it's really who knows what what's going to be the 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 flavor of the of the year or whatever sonically, but. Um, you know, you could you could say that the eighties were like the biggest intro to anything was like a synth, you mm -hmm. know, and like then it be showed up in everything for a little while, but guitars always stayed there. And um, then um You mean the live show in general or just the live show, like like how you perform instruments, because when you're talking about live, sure, there's there's instruments that work really well in the live setting, right? Mm -hmm. Guitar, drums bass could you know like violin like the the standards synth keyboards but then so much stuff is made in the in the computer in the box now sure that you've got these like this palette of songs that you know you might be using machine or you might be like triggering or just basically doing an ableton show you know and and pantomiming playing along with it you know well kind of like the conversation we were having about you know virtual shows and stuff like that. I think it's the same thing, the way that um, it's just gonna get in court, it's gonna get folded into each other. Like weird hybrids start to emerge where like, even me, I got rid of my amp for the last Gambino tour um, because what I was able to do by using a modeler, by doing things in the box and then also having MIDI being able to be sent to it, um, I guess, shout out to Fractal um and <laughs> and their units um made it so that i wasn't dancing around hitting pedals all the time every time there was a change in like a section of a song you know my machine mm -hmm. and my pedal board would change with it and then also i was able to do things that i would like you can if if you think of it well no anyway that's my answer is that it's going to get incorporated in a way that it's not going to be one or the other it's going to yeah. be a combination of everything coming together and like and, and it'll lead to new sounds and new ways of, 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 yeah, new ways of making sound, which is going to be, which is going to be cool, which is like half the, half the time. I mean, I'm going back and learning all these weird, like, you know, not, not of the time instruments like pedal steel. And I just got a cello yesterday too. So I'm really nice. just like making, yeah, going, going back a couple of decades, but, um, yeah, just keeping up with the new stuff and see, seeing like, what appeals to me and what what I think is just like a gimmick or what I think is kind of, you know, not for me. Like there's so much stuff out there that's coming all the time. Like, and, and the way I use it is gonna be different than the way you use it is gonna be different from the way Bri uses it is gonna be different from the way that your listeners use it. Like, it's gonna be cool. It's just how long are we gonna be able to be like, uh, you know, locked in and being like, you know what? I know enough now. I'm just gonna do what I do with what I got. Or yeah. I, I've been that way now for almost a decade. 
<laughs> I, I, I am not getting better at guitar. I know how to play guitar how I know how to play guitar. That's it. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's that's just the thing. You know, no, it's a personal I shortcoming. But I've always cut. No, I don't think of it as a shortcoming at all, because for me, I've always wondered, like, you know, I said earlier that I do enjoy like I get bored and then I start doing another thing and I start doing another thing and I start doing another thing. There's part of me that does wonder sometimes if it would be easier for, for example, for people to know what it is that I do if I had just stuck with a one thing or stuck with one band or stuck with one style of music or whatever. And, you know, and just on a personal level, that's the thing I like about Bry is that he has been the same the entire time that I've known him. And I can depend on that as opposed to, you know, we've all had that experience before where like, you know, your favorite artist has a new record coming out or whatever, and it's a total departure and it's like it takes a minute for you to wrap your head around it and you either mm -hmm. end up liking it or not liking it or whatever but i do wonder sometimes i do wonder sometimes whether or not like oh huh i wonder what it would have been like if i just stuck with this that or the other whether it's an instrument or a band or a style or whatever because i do also think sometimes like i'm i'm pretty good at a lot of different things but mm -hmm. I never, I never became like the baddest badass at any one thing. I don't think, and that's yeah. completely fine with me because that's the way I want to live uh, my life. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, yeah. I mean, it takes all kinds. I think, right? Like sometimes, I think it's also like if you were to not do what's in your nature, you probably wouldn't be as interested in what you're doing. You know? It's true. Absolutely. Um, what a, uh, given all that that you that you have you're you're doing a lot of stuff and then you're making your own music too aside from playing with all these these people how are you thinking about choosing your own style and like how did you come up with your sound huh i mean it's funny i i haven't really thought about my own music and art i guess i've been kind of moving away from pop music just because i feel like pop music has kind of moved away from me like the things that i like aren't necessarily the things that are considered popular music these days. And so I've been kind of opening myself up to like, it doesn't have to be a song. It just needs to be music actually. Mm -hmm. And so it the, the little time that I have spent um, in the last couple of years, just working on original material, it's been more open-ended like that. And also, you know, I think that's, uh, I don't know, I started doing a couple of like, or I scored like a short film a couple of years ago and I did, you know, a couple of small things like that. And I found myself like, yeah, I like this. I mm -hmm. like that it's, you know, it's open to interpretation. It's not about, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus out. Mm -hmm. Like I can, yeah, just stretch out a little bit. And there's also like, oh yeah, there doesn't need to be a beat here. There doesn't need to be something driving here this can actually be free time or it can be whatever so that's kind of more uh, i'm i'm tr i'm looking that was part of my plan of this year getting off the road is like let's do more of that stuff mm -hmm. then once i a kid it was just like i just want to play i just want to play with my toys i just want to play with mm -hmm. my toys. i don't want to do anything <laughs> but slowly yeah, but it's coming back you know that and that kind of music is super interesting if you really like zoom out sometimes i'm watching a movie and i'm like I'll just start listening to the sounds only, you know, mm -hmm. and it'll just be really, it's really weird, you know, cause you're normally just, you're in the moment. It's feeling and that's yeah. creating it's, it's enhancing the mood, you know, cause it's the sound of human emotion sure. pushing on you. Right. And like the Han, the, I think it's Hans Zimmer that did Dunkirk, Kirk, right? That yeah. Was, that was Hans Zimmer. Like yeah. that was like one of the greatest soundtracks ever. Like it kept, the soundtrack made made me 100% like, be on the edge of my seat the entire movie. It was really good. Yep. Um, You're not going to get an argument from me. Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer is good. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's all right, really yeah. like one of the best. But uh, yeah, it's it's it, music has has definitely has a place. We always talk about music and in, in the like on the internet as where can it fit. You know, I mean, everything is right now is in a pop structure, three minute songs that fit really well on the radio, right? They were that that format was developed for radio sure. because that's how it worked in there. And then 
you know, it would be put in movies and, and then other things in that same format. But as we go forward and all these other experiences like start to evolve and we're doing things like, you know, virtual games that are 10 minute long segments of something like, how does music fit into that? Like over that 10, 10 minute piece of piece of, mm-hmm. of experience, now. you know, mm-hmm. and how, how I think that the opportunity to, to create music for stuff like that, it's going to be hopefully like a lot more opportunity yeah. for musicians. I know when I get in my deepest darkest over like over the last couple of months about like, are people even going to care anymore? Um, you know, I know there's going to, there's always going to be a need for music. It's, it's, you know, and once you get over, once I got over the idea of like, but where's the money going to come from? It's like, oh yeah, well, try not to worry about that right now. Try to try worrying about like whether or not you have something to offer in terms of like, yeah, here's a sound you haven't heard before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great advice right there, actually. Pedal steel. Like I, I've gotten really frustrated over the last, not really frustrated, it's just one of those things like when I think about the way that the pedal steel, for example, is used in country music, it always occupies this really narrow strip of frequency where it's like, it can be so much more than that, actually. And so like just having, you know, a new, it's like this for all of us, I'm sure. Every time you get a new instrument or a new plug-in or a new pedal or a new toy, whatever it is, it sparks a different part of your brain. It's like, oh, I'm going to do something with this that nobody else has ever done. Before. Totally. You know, I think that's why I, I kind of am letting myself off the hook kind of with not being, I haven't recorded as much stuff as I thought I was going to when this all hit in March, but I've gotten much, I've gotten fluent in a bunch of things that I never thought I would, I would before. And I know it's just going to make it so that when, when the, when the, when the creative juices start coming back and they already started, have started a little bit, but when I'm really in that zone, like I'm going to have all these colors, these other colors that I can use to paint with. And like, yeah, I don't know. I I forget what we're talking about, but I'm, you know, saying words. (laughs) Words, sayings. Um, Do you, so did, did I hear that you did something for the latest Bill and Ted's? Face the music. Yeah. Tell um, us about that. Uh, my friend, my good, one of the first people I met when I moved to LA, again, this is all serendipity. Um, one of the first people I uh, met when I first moved to LA it was the mus- is the music supervisor on that movie. And uh, yeah, you, you know, because it's obviously so music centric, like there just wasn't enough time to get all uh, so much of the music done. And he was calling all, all kinds of people all over town. I mean, when you look at that soundtrack actually and the people who played in the movie that aren't on the like the soundtrack soundtrack like that are just in the movie that are just in the movie he called all kinds of people um and uh you know there there was one moment in particular where i guess yeah the movie's out now there's no spoiler mm-hmm. um where they go back in time to um try and recruit people for their band and they go back in time, like first they meet like Louis Armstrong and then they meet Jimi Hendrix and then they go back and like try and recruit Mozart. And there is this one scene in the movie where Mozart's giving like a recital in the parlor and, uh, and then Hendrix is like, oh yeah, I, you know, I can dig that. And he, he, he starts playing the same song like from outside the building and then they start playing with each other. And I don't know. This is one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, I know. How, I, I I can picture that scene, even when it was like without picture, when just like the scene itself was the, like the concept of the scene was shared with me. I was like, oh yeah, I know how to do that. I'm just going to do that. Then. I'm just going to give you the piece that you can shoot too, actually. And like, just let's, let's do that. And there were a couple other things. There was like, they also go back in time to try and find like a prehistoric drummer. And we had to do some stuff with that. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of guitar work, but it was fun. It was definitely fun to kind of let loose a little bit and um, yeah, and just do something really fun. But have you gone and watched the movie in fall now? Oh, yeah. and seen is, <laughs> is it good? I, I've been I've been kind of trying to figure out if I should watch or not. It's definitely, it's a fun hang, especially if you have a relationship with those characters. Um, and then there's, you know, all the, for, for guys like us where it's like, oh, wow, was that, you know, who was, was that Dave Grohl? Like, who is that? You know, like people just show up in and out and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a fun time. It's fun. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. Like even in the the little bits that I had to do for the music, um, because a bunch of different people worked on that thing. Um, it was nice to think about. Like, remember, this is supposed to be fun. Like, don't don't this isn't don't take this so seriously as you would do as I would do with you know other kinds of stuff that I work on. It's just like make sure this is fun, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the vibe of the movie too, where it's like you know what, there, there might be some rough edges or whatever, but it's just about having fun. And like that, it, once you put yourself in that headspace, like, yeah, you, it's, a, it's a good time for sure. I guess the biggest bummer of that is they didn't, you didn't get to go to like the, like a, the man Chinese to see the opening <laughs> with everybody who worked on the movie, you know? I wonder, yeah. Uh, I mean, we ended up having like me and my music supervisor friend, Jonathan Leahy, um we set up a social distance thing in his backyard and just put up a screen and got a bunch of snacks and washed it together um that's awesome that's cool you know what though that's that's the thing of it too i i I wonder if um yeah like just the fact that there is a new movie out i mean i'm a huge i'm a i'm a big film guy just as a fan i mean and the fact that there have been so few new movies out i hope that um you know it's it's like anything new coming out i know they're just sitting in the and my my brother my brother works in and he's a storyboard artist for for a bunch of movies and and he's like yeah they just there's so many movies just sitting in the can waiting for because because whatever the arrangements with the different movie houses and it's just they just have to hold on to it like the bond movie i want to see that movie i would like to see it I don't want the age difference between uh, Daniel Craig now and Daniel <laughs> Craig in the movie to be like so stark. Like, well, that was, that was like a couple of years ago. But so. Even with like, because uh, a good friend of mine, um, uh, Ludwig, who Ludwig Gorenson, who's Childish Gambino's like longtime producer and also like monster film composer. He did that film Tenet. And uh, uh, so that was a good movie. Did you get to see it? Oh yeah, I heard there was a drive-in in San Diego. There is. I went to the drive-in. That's where I saw it. But here's the problem with it. So I was I went with a friend of mine who's Brazilian, and and it's a hard movie to watch through your. It like it was a couple compounded difficult parts to because they do like he went really into like somebody's talking with with a thing like that. So he made made the you know and and so it was if you're a non-native english speaker and then that there was a bunch of parts in the movie where she's like what do you say you know like and it was hard to hear but i really liked it except for there's some holes in it i'm very jealous that you even got to see it because i know that not only to support my friend but also i just wanted to see that movie it didn't even enter into my into my brain that i just had to accept the fact that like you're not going to see this for a while and you'll be lucky if you ever get to see it in a theater like I'm so jealous that you actually even got to do that. I mean, a part of it, it did occur to me. I had some friends who drove down to San Diego just to go see that movie. Yeah, uh, South Bay driving. <laughs> wait, where is it? It's South in so, South Bay, right off of Palm Avenue. It's like oh, on, oh no, on shit. Saturdays it's the swap meet, and then you know it's the rest swap. of the time it's no way the swap meet's still going on, is it? No. Yes, no, it no. is, by the way. Dude, oh, it's been disgusting. going out. Kobe's has been going on. I'm like, Kobe. how is this a Kobe. good idea? Oh, my God. Kobe's is still going on? Holy. Yeah. Kobe, ni- Kobe 19. You mean <laughs> Kobe's? <laughs> Kobe's um, 19. Yeah, anyways. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, that was a good movie. Not to get us off on a tangent, but <laughs> it was a good movie. But I got to go watch it again because I was a little distracted. And I was also... Well, and that's just the thing. You don't want you don't necessarily want to hear it on your car speakers. You want to hear it in like, you know, surrounds yeah, high def. A little bit way too loud. Like I remember the loudest movie I've ever seen was a Chris Nolan movie, was that interstellar that I saw at the dome. And I just remember being like, I turned to the person next to me being like, I I like we can't even talk to each other right now. Even if even if we wanted to, it's so loud. But that's kind of what you want. And to bring us all back, like that's kind of what I want for people to go see live shows. I don't want you to be able to control the volume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> too loud move back like that's that's what that's kind of what it's supposed to be is like you give yourself over to these things that are beyond your control like number one the volume you know what i mean yeah. mm-hmm. like uh, god 
I miss theaters, I miss shows. Uh, we all do. Yeah. Well, it well, doesn't hopefully. have to be a song. It just <laughs> has to be music. That's right. There you go. <laughs> so, right. Ray, um, this has been amazing. You're, 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 you're absolutely entertaining. Your experience is unfathomable. <laughs> we do want to play our listeners a little Savio Savio, though, on your exit. But before we do that, and while you think of a song to play them, where can we find you? Well, I guess after the conversation we've had, it only makes sense to say, well, check out the Instagram. Because I'll yeah. every couple of months, I'll do something that like, it does feel honest to me. And it's like, and it's I'll, such a treat every time you do. You know what? I'm, I'm learning stuff. I'm, I'm figuring out how to play this damn pedal steel. And probably before too long, there's going to be some weird cello videos up there. And there's gonna yes, be, but, bring you know, it. So the Instagram at Ray Ray Agogo. Don't ask me how I came up with that because I'll never know either. Um, you can check out my website, uh, raceone.com. And uh, if you got any changes you want to make to my Wikipedia, go for it because it sounds like it needs to get updated. <laughs> <laughs> excellent bud well thanks so much for taking the time we love you ray and um thanks, ray. real quick give us the savio savio song soon we're gonna play out here weird one because i haven't like i said i've been thinking about other stuff but you know what check out change your mind off of the the second ep off the off the love and revelation ep i do love that song and i think uh yeah it shows a little bit of how yeah where i'm at <laughs> or where i was at we love it all right Ray, right, stay guys. safe out there. You're welcome back here anytime. Great talking to you, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. All right, take care. See you guys. Change your mind, I do it all the time, but I can't even-